it's that initial first step. That's the scariest part. It's actually grabbing the tool. It's actually signing up for the class. It's actually stepping out in front of a crowd and, and just start talking. That's the most terrifying part of the entire thing. Whatever that is, like if you could figure out like what scares you, if you just make one little tiny step, it'll go so far. It'll empower you and it'll embolden where you want to go. It'll turn you into who you want to be. These are all things that shape you as a person. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we've got Justin Andrews. Now, Justin is one of the hosts of the Mind Pump podcast. And already on the path, we've had Adam Schaefer and Sal DiStefano on, which were fantastic episodes. And Justin brings in a very unique perspective, especially in the realm of, of health, fitness, and performance, because Justin was not only a collegiate football player, uh, he's got a degree in kinesiology, but he's really at Mind Pump, the resident expert on all things unconventional training, which is really a big part of why we resonate so much with each other. And so in this podcast, we certainly go into the benefits of unconventional training, the roadblocks that tends to hold people back, why people tend to get intimidated and what they can do about it to enter in some of this fantastic world of utilizing the unconventional training tools, whether it's kettlebells, mace bells, Indian clubs, whatever, and the benefits and the transfer that those things can offer to us in all aspects of life. And so we go deep into that. And in addition, we go deep into the topics of fatherhood. And, and Justin is a father of two boys. And I was fascinated to learn how he's really been raising these boys, having so much knowledge and experience in the health and the fitness and performance game, but how can we raise our children in a way that doesn't necessarily force that upon them, but really fosters an environment for them to discover it on their own. And of course, as parents, we nudge and direct them in the best way possible. But where and how can it become detrimental when we force that upon our kids? And so this was obviously so near and dear to my heart. We're going to have our baby in the next coming weeks. But even if you don't have children, reflecting back on when we were children, what was our upbringing like? What worked for us? What didn't work for us? And if we were to do things differently, for example, how might we imagine the direction that we would like to go or would have gone in a healthier way? And so this episode was was fantastic. And as much as Justin has a, a huge presence with his Mind Pump podcast, you know, one of the things that I super appreciate about him is his just honesty and vulnerability. And, you know, he goes into one of his greatest fears, which has been public speaking and what he's done over the years to help himself grow through and pass that fear. And so I know you're going to learn a lot on this one. Let's get right into it with Justin Andrews. I do see a lot of similarities in my youngest with myself. And so I feel like he's the one that's going to take me out. Is the <laughs> point of that. Like, I feel like he is going to put in the work and, um, <laughs> you know, he's going to get in the gym and start figuring it out and get to a point where uh, one day he's going to take dad out. So we, we wrestle all the time, though. He's going to come behind you on Thanksgiving day and just lock arms and just yeah. next thing you know, you're in the air. Yeah. He'll, he'll learn like jujitsu or something that I don't know. And, and he'll just 
you know, cripple me or something, you know, and I'm going to have to deal with that. How old is your youngest again? He's nine. Nine. And then you got 12. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And then you were telling me before we, we, we hopped on, you were telling me that your 12 year old is getting super interested in some more extreme stuff. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Which scares the hell out of me. Like motocross or motocross, like- his friend, his best friend, um, races, uh, with his dad. Okay. And so he's been slowly trying to kind of sell him on the idea of it. And, um, and my son's been expressing interest in that direction. And so I'm like looking into it and trying to see like, do I start him with, obviously he's a little bit bigger now to start with like a 50, like we're going more like a hundred, something like that. Like get, you know, get a bike that's like adequate size, but not too crazy and, and too much power. And then also too, like I was talking to Adam's been really into the quad racing. Okay. And so it's a little bit safer in terms of like, I think balance. And, um, so I might go in that direction a bit, but just exploring that, like I never did that as a kid. And so it's unknown territory for me. So it, it, it does kind of put me back on my heels a bit to, to watch and, and to kind of experience, you know, with them. So, but I, I look at that as a, as a cool challenge for me as a parent to, to pull myself back and, and let them explore things that I wouldn't have done. And I mean, that's how gymnastics has been for me as well. Like I didn't know what to expect. And it's like, it's not a sport that um, I would have ever seen myself doing, but I just see massive benefit uh, that it's brought to both kids and their strength and their athleticism, their ability is increased substantially. So that put me in my place, you know, my check my ego. Cause it's like, was it your wife who wanted to put them in or you both mutually? You know, I've, she, I think she uh, had always wanted to do it herself as a kid. Ah, okay. And so it was interesting because I think she wanted to see how that all turned out and even joked about like doing the, they have adult gymnastic class yeah, like yeah, one yeah. of the days a week. <laughs> and so uh, my oldest was so mad because we were like, well, we're going to do that. And he's like, no, you guys are not going to do that. Like we we're just going to totally embarrass him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want my parents there doing gymnastic moves that I do at my gym, you know? And so, uh, I think we had, we've been a little reserved to do it cause we're, you know, we're, we don't want to like, uh, totally completely embarrass them right away, but it is something that she's very passionate about learning. And I think she's going to move in that direction, but yeah, I think she was excited about it to, to kind of go through that and then kind of sold me on the idea of it. And I actually, it didn't take much to sell me because most of the world-class strength coaches we've had on the show have all pointed to that. They've pointed mm. to kind of starting with that foundational, um, something like a gymnastics or some kind of like, you know, very proprioceptive focus of, you know, strength and body awareness. Um, and it's, that's probably one of the better options out there to start and, and to really get that groundwork in. So I was like, logically it makes sense, but I just, I don't know enough about it. And I'm like, I'm like a very conventional sports person and have always been. And so it was a bit of an ego check for me to not have them play soccer, not have them play basketball, not have them (laughs) doing football, you know, all those things that I know and I can coach and interject. Um, so I had to really sit in the stands and just cheer. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I totally know what you mean because I mean, like, 
I think you, you may know this, but I was a gymnast as a kid too. That's so right. I was a gymnast. My brother started and he was like, I think like four or five. And then I got into it maybe when I was six or so. Only did it till I was 14 until high school and I had a back injury. But at the same time, just those seven, eight years developmentally have set me up so much to like what you were saying, the body awareness, the control, the proprioception. And I remember just as a kid, like showing up to practice and we were practicing six days a week, usually at minimum two hours, some oftentimes three hour sessions. Yeah. And so that discipline was instilled in that structure from such a young age. And then I remember, I remember almost every practice being going into it scared in the sense, like I, I knew I was going to be challenged and there was mm. maths and the coach knew what they were doing, but I was always, you know, trying a new skill or a new movement. And yeah. that repetition of years of doing that from such a young age, beyond just like the physical stuff, I think like character wise and like mental, like being more dialed in with a, approaching fearful things mm. with a little bit more of like, it's okay. And not over, over building this stuff up, man. So I'm really excited to hear that's what you've been doing with the kids. Yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting perspective because it is a lot of, um, I mean, it's crazy challenges with them jumping and then flipping and, um, doing things where you don't know how your body's really going to end up until you <laughs> experience it and you, you go and you have, you can't half ass it. You, you have, have to have commit. to go all in, mm -hmm. uh, which was another thing that I noticed that I really appreciated um, with, you know, with that sport and with that discipline, because I do see that. I see that fearlessness in terms of some challenges that they face. Like they, you know, I think it has translated a bit towards the mentality that they're kind of developing uh, towards those challenges. So hopefully that, you know, that does kind of uh, transpire later where they can face uh, whatever obstacle and they have that kind of a mental discipline where they're like, yeah, I can get through this. I just have to like barrel down and, and buckle down and get through it. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's done nothing but good. I mean, I've honestly, I've seen a huge change, especially with, with my oldest and his arm strength. Cause that really? was one thing like him throwing a ball was like, you know, it was okay. Like he has decent mechanics, but the strength wasn't there. <laughs> And I, I think that's one thing I've noticed too with a lot of um, kids in sports is is just overall, like kids that I've worked with personally too, just are not strong like they used to be. And I, I don't know, like physical education wise, I don't know like where that disconnect is, but I just, I've seen a, a massive decline in that direction. And, uh, you know, obviously this is kind of a, an exclusive, like private direction. I took them, um, to go into gymnastics, but it was the best thing I think I could have done for them because now coming back towards conventional sports, you see how that really, uh, translates and improved his overall ability to, um, athletically move his body. Um, like even like fielding, uh, ground balls and, and, you know, throwing the baseball and just moving and, and spinning and cutting for basketball. And like you, you see, and that's, I geek out on movement. So it's like, for me, it's, it's cool because it's like, wow, that really worked. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's cool to see that. Are you finding like with his friends, like one of the things that I've observed in kids today is like, there's this, um, 
so much of single sport focus and all year round. Like people are playing, kids are playing baseball. Mm-hmm. They're oftentimes doing that all year round, travel teams, uh, school teams, whatever. And while I like, I remember as a kid, gymnastics for me was a year round sport. However, the movement variety yeah. and the, the, the diversity in just athletic skills that you're exposed to, even though you may have, you may be doing gymnastics year round, there's so much inherent variety. So what you were saying, I'd love for you to share more on like, how are you seeing your son as, as a result of being a gymnast or doing that different than his friends? Yeah. So one thing too was, uh, and just going back to the arm strength, I think um, you saw that when they were working on specific skills in gymnastics, like a handstand. Yeah. And um, that was something that was very difficult. And my son, it took him probably a little bit longer than some of the kids to, to really like master that and have control over it, but continuously worked at it and kept working at it and getting better over time to the point now where, I mean, he can do, he can do multiple handsprings, uh, for tumbling and then, you know, really use his upper body strength to propel him into these flips. And, um, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me to see, um, you know, how just the pure repetition of it, um, was, was enormous for that. And, um, two, also it changed my perspective on, on kids exercising and, and training. Like there used to be this big myth out there that like, if they trained too early, mm. like it was going to, it was going to interrupt their development and, and, uh, stunt their growth and like all these types of things, even with lifting weights. And so, um, what I've noticed is because, because of the strength acquisition there, um, this is where he actually had more motivation to come back to me and be like, Hey, like, how do I lift weights? And like, so start asking me questions on like, you know, what would be a good compliment to this? And, um, and so we started to kind of work on real basic fundamental lifts, like a deadlift. And we start with like a kettlebell, a heavy kettlebell and just start with a deadlift and, and go through the mechanics of that. And, um, you know, how we hip hinge and how we brace our body and how we, um, you know, really anchor down and, and, um, lift with our body supported. And, um, and so, you know, working on things like that and then, um, you know, pressing and pressing overhead, especially too, uh, with weights, uh, it, it's just cool because it's, you know, that's where I start to kind of geek out and I'm like, now you're kind of in my, you're in my domain. You know, I've been waiting, like, I've just been like, like salivating for the point <laughs> to where the kid, my kids would come to me and like ask me for, for help in terms of their training, because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's this kind of, I'm, I'm in the stands and I'm kind of just waiting and anticipating, uh, that day. And so it's now finally starting to happen. And, and, um, thankfully they had a good coach where he, he really does, um, emphasize a lot of the strength training, uh, within the skill acquisition too, of like having to flip and having to move their body and, um, do all these crazy feats, uh, with the trampolines and, uh, also with, you know, the tumbling and all that, that they do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely changed a lot of the way that I kind of see, I, I really think that that's, the emphasis of body weight training and mastery over um, just your body's control and and the ability to 
to brace and the ability to generate force uh, intrinsically first, then kind of addressing load and, and seeing what now, how we can take that same control over our body and now we apply it to uh, weights. It's, it was just a natural progression. So it makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious because I know you, you grew up playing football, right? Yep. So you played through what, high school and college too? High school and college. Uh-huh. And okay. So with that, what did your, let's use college. What did your training for football by and large, big picture, what did it include? It was definitely more intensive than the training I applied for, um, for high school. So a lot of it was, um, so I did a lot of power cleans. I mean, I probably did more power cleans in my time <laughs> training for football than my, like any other time. Like I would just have like the off season was, was a lot of it was devoted to, to power cleans and backloaded squats. Hmm. And so that was like the majority of, of the, the two staples lifts that I would sort of support and program around. Uh, obviously bench press was, was a big one and overhead press, but uh, there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on deadlifts, um, which is interesting to me in hindsight. Like, and this is also too interesting for me because um, I've been programming for high school kids football team personally and coaching and, and trying to kind of get back and give back no, in that, that direction. Wow. Yeah, the last two years oh, I've shit. been been doing that um, with the high school team because I wanted to be immerse myself a little bit more in the community because I live pretty close to the high school and my kids are not quite the age yet, um, to, to go in that direction, but I wanted to make sure the program still existed, uh, by the time, you know, so they had the option of, of doing it. Like, uh, again, to not kind of impose my, my, uh, hopes and dreams and all that on my kids. But at the same time, like, hope that it was still an option and available for them. They wanted to do it and pursue it. Um, so I, I, I've been working with, with the high school football team and, and, um, restructuring and reprogramming their entire off season and, um, and had some pretty good result, uh, in terms of kids really gaining strength and, and, um, good body mass and lean body mass and, and speed and power. However, I'm, finding a lot of uh, challenge I didn't anticipate addressing that specific community. And so I think it's been good for me in terms of uh, putting myself back in that coaching seat um, because on the podcast here, it's, it's, it's great because we riff and we kind of tell stories of past clients and experiences we've had. Um, but I'm not like in the mix, like troubleshooting and, and it, it kind of puts all that back uh, into perspective for me, like there's a whole lot of, a whole host of challenges. Like I didn't anticipate, especially, uh, after like a couple years of the lockdowns and COVID. And then, you know, the kids only getting, uh, I think they had like four games one season. Uh, and then I, I came in the, the year after that, um, where they were starting it up again, the whole program was just completely broken. Organizationally schedule. Yeah. So like uh, some of the main coaches left, um, that had been there for just decades. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so they were going through this kind of shift and change and 
another one of my friends kind of took it over and then had approached me and was trying to get me to come help. And I had always wanted to help. I just, you know, I don't have time. Like I don't, I don't have time. I have my own family. I have, you know, mind pump and we have, uh, all these other kinds of, uh, programs and things that we're doing here for, for work. And, but at the same time, I always wanted to, because, because I saw a deficit there and I saw like, it, it meant a lot for me growing up, uh, having that as an outlet, especially football, because it was such like a tight, like brotherhood thing. And it was really formative, uh, for me uh, growing up and uh, becoming a man and, and just like relating with other people, like working well with other people. Like there's just so many lessons I learned through that experience and then took on even then into college, um, that, uh, I just found so much value out of it. And it was just, it's this collection of misfits, uh, <laughs> that just don't have anywhere else to go, you know? And it's, uh, I was always trying to get away from my house and like, just, you know, that was like just a pure outlet of like performance. And this is, I'm working on something great and I want to be great and I want everybody around me to be great. And we're all going to do this together and we're going to, um, be disciplined and we're going to give up drinking and we're going to give up, you know, partying and having girlfriends. And we're just going to be like completely focused on this. And that was, you know, our team was like that. And it's, it's interesting because it's, I never had that again. It was for sure. It was like my senior year. Um, and just this, this, razor sharp focus that, uh, of you could see what, um, when you get everybody bought in on something like that, like what that produces, you know, we we're a championship team. We were undefeated. We, you know, we did all the things. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I just got sidetracked, but, um, well, well on that real quick, like what I really appreciate and respect about that is like paying it forward, like paying forward the the gifts the lessons that you learned when you're a kid and you don't have to do this right you're financially you got your business but and you've got your family you've got other priorities and responsibility and, but you chose to do this and that is i think such an important thing one memory that comes up is when i was transitioning from uh high school to college i was 19 i went out that was the year that i went out to west side barbell so i spent mm -hmm. a month out a month out there training with louie and awesome. I remember reaching out to him like in the months before telling him this is what I wanted to do. And he was very short, but very kind. He's like, yeah, 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 just, just come, just come. And so when I finally got out there and trained and learned so much and got to work with those guys, I remember, and I'll never forget, and this is, you know, he's since passed away. And uh, man, at the end, we were going out with him and his wife, Doris, for a meal. And we were sitting down and in that entire time, we had never talked about finances or money, never. And I remember at the end of the lunch before he was going to drop me to the airport, pulled him aside and I said, you know, Louie, I've learned so much from you this whole month, this entire month. Like you brought me in, we've, you've done so much for me and you didn't even know who, you didn't even know me. You had no obligation or expectation to do anything for me. What do I owe you? Like we've never talked about money. Yeah. And I'll never forget, and I'm going to paraphrase, but he was like, Mike, you don't owe me anything. The only thing that I'm going to ask of you is when you go home to your powerlifting team, I was a part of a small knit team. He was like, basically just take everything that I've shared with you here and make your team better. And like so that right. fucking message is like, has been not just ingrained in my mind, but in my heart. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I'm out there teaching and stuff like that, like I, it makes me feel good when I'm paying it forward. One, because it feels good to do, but also I feel like I'm honoring the lessons that that him as a coach and him as a mentor instilled in me. So like, I love seeing you do that. Yeah. And I think it's really important. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I love that. I, for me, it's always just been about um, helping people. I mean, and that's what the podcast is. And that's like, I get something out of people learning from our experiences, our mistakes, our findings, and just like the overall improvement factor and being able to have some bit of say and control over um, improving yourself. Like I, like this, this growth, I just, I want that for everybody. I want everybody to, to pursue that type of um, individual growth because you want to be around people that, that want to be better. And um, I just think it's just a healthier mentality uh, for everybody to really pursue that, that, that personal growth. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those things it's, it's, it's a hard sell because you do have to do a lot of work. And I mean, I'm still doing a, a lot of work and, and there's a lot of self-discovery, um, that I've had to go through to, uh, get somewhat of, of, uh, where I am today and like what's transpired as a result of that. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's so worth it. And it's, it's the opposite message of what everybody's receiving these days. And it, it's so frustrating to me because it's, it's easy. It's easy to point fingers and it's easy to blame circumstances and it's easy to dismiss, uh, work and, and to avoid it, but to sell people on the, the idea that we all can improve, we all can be better. We all can, um, experience this life at a much higher frequency than we're experiencing it right now is way more attractive to me. And I, I want to surround myself with people like that. Or if you're not like that, I'm going (laughs) to, you know, you're, you're going to unfortunately be faced with, with me selling and pitching you on that idea. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like, I get a lot out of, um, even though now we just talk about it, I'm a very active person like I move and so sitting is is tough you know even just this is like tough for me communicating's always been really tough for me in terms of expressing my thoughts and opinions but that's just been work and it's just been reps and it's interesting to me that um where I'm at now it's like I would have never thought this is what I do for a living for one because I like having conversations I like being part of the conversations but I didn't think like I was going to be a professional at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had shared with me before uh, we were on air, you, you were sharing with me like your biggest fear is or was public speaking and speaking in general. Yeah. How have you seen yourself shift in that? Yeah. Seeing where you are now and watching what the amount of, I don't know, you guys have done like, I don't know, 2000 shows. Something, yeah. Something we're getting like, close to about yeah. 2000. So you've laid mm-hmm. down some reps. Yeah. So how has that been? Yeah, it's been crazy. It's, um, it, it was very much uh, something. I think there was a there was a moment as in fourth grade, and I could I could literally point it to that, <laughs> oh, which shit. is crazy. Um, but it's because it was a big it was a big failure in terms of my delivery, um, and it it made a big imprint on me because I was supposed to talk about something in front of the entire class and teach them something, 
And instead of doing something in my own wheelhouse and like something I knew really well, I was kind of going back and forth, trying to get ideas for my mom at the time. And, um, and then she kind of sold me on the idea of like teaching them how to make some kind of like baking cookies or something. Like it was some kind of like, like bar that, that she had made many times. And then she kind of walked me through it. And then, so anyways, I had no interest in it. And therefore I didn't, I didn't absorb any of those steps. And, and so I go to present this in front of the class and I just literally froze. And I had a, like this panic in this, this moment of like this realization that I was completely full of shit. And I'm sitting there in front of my classmates and I'm like, um, I have no idea. I have no, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Nothing. Like, I don't know what steps you take for this bar. I don't know how to bake it. Like my mom talked me into this. Like, <laughs> I like lost my shit, dude. Like I ran out of the classroom and it just was the most embarrassing moment I can think of. I mean, I had a lot of embarrassing moments growing up, but like that was just a formative <laughs> one for me just because I had this, like, I'm an imposter, you know, mm. like I, like I'm a fake, I'm a charlatan, you know? Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be teaching you guys something I know. I don't know this. And so that just carried with me. Unfortunately, every time I would go to present something in front of class, I was like fighting that, that, that same feeling. Like you're an imposter, you're fake, you're phony. Um, and so I just had to work through that and it was rough. Like I had many moments of that later in high school um, that uh, I would just really like talk myself up over and over and over. Like, no, I know this, I know this. And I would memorize things and I would, uh, make sure that like I had all my ducks in a row if I went to go present and, um, and, but it, I would just had get the sweats and I was just like so uncomfortable and, um, just beside myself because I just, I was never, um, it never came naturally. It was always work. Um, and I was eventually able to calm myself down and kind of get to a point where I could, I could present in front, but I still never liked it. It just wasn't something I was interested in. Um, and now it's like, because this is more conversational, it feels fine. Like it's, it's, it's great. It's when things get academic and they get very specific and detail oriented where I just like, Oh my God, like I, I'm going to ruin this. Like I'm going to screw this up. <laughs> and it's just a thought starts and then that thread sort of expands. And then I take myself down and I, and I sabotage myself. And so, um, I've, done a lot of work in that direction and, and have, um, and so this, this is actually what motivated me to pursue this improv class, which was fucking terrifying. It was terrifying. Um, and I did this unbeknownst to the guys. Uh, I just was like, I gotta get better at this. And I gotta, like, I gotta work through this. This is a fear of mine. This is something that stayed with me and I, I want to get rid of it. Like I'm over it. And I just looked and signed up for this class in, in San Jose. It was comedy sports and I didn't know anybody and just kind of showed up. And the funny part is like, I get there and we're doing all these silly drills and they, they really like, they really make you like act a fool like in front <laughs> of people you don't even know to get you to sort of 
uh, release the fact that nobody in here is going to be cool doing this stuff, but we're all working on getting through that, that block, that um, sort of cognitive block that, that we place where it's like uh, you, you screen everything you say. Right. I was very good at screening what I was saying, even on the podcast, very good at, at um, filtering through and making sure like cross checking everything before I delivered it, because God forbid, you know, one of those details is off or whatever. And then, you know, the moment would just go and then my opportunity was gone. And so like a lot of the uh, interjections and things like on the show, like I wouldn't be able to get you know, my input in there because it was too much filtering. Uh, so this really helped me to just kind of break through that and just trust my gut. Like, I'm just going to say whatever is on top of my mind right now. I'm just going to be out with it. And uh, it was fucking terrifying. And Because you, know, you say some, th <laughs> some things that everybody's like, Ugh. like, you know, it might be too sexual and, you know, it might be appropriate, <laughs> you know, for the group, you it's know, I don't much. know. Got to read the room a little bit. <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of people that were like, you know, some, I don't know. I don't know if they're sort of like ready for uh, some of the, because like, I, again, I like to, I like to joke a lot. And, and so that, that too was, um, I, I had, I found that I had to kind of figure that out as well. Like it just be okay with the fact that I'm not, it's not always going to land either. Like I'm going to bomb, like I'm going to say something. It's not going to go over well, <laughs> but that was great. It was, it was, it definitely helped. Um, it helped me learn how to, to trust, trust the fact that I could say something and I could deliver something and maybe not be perfect, mm. but also too, I can work through that and explain my way through that. I don't have to like land it as punctual as I want. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be uh, polished. I'm, it, so uh, to, to be able to stay in the conversation and, and work my way through those ideas, that I felt like had real good uh, translation towards the podcast. Dude, that's so insightful. And one of the things that comes up, you were telling me before that your youngest son is basically like a carbon copy of yourself. Yeah. Has a lot of the same triggers, a lot of the same way of viewing the world and operating. And I'm curious if your son experiences the same massive fear of public speaking, what words of wisdom would you give him? it's been really interesting because there's ways that we grow up that in, in somebody that I've, I've worked with too, that um, my wife and I have also kind of gone through some counseling and things to work through our relationships and something like uh, this lady told us was like, we get injected. A lot of these inject, mm. these ideas get injected in us in our uh, journey kind of growing up. And I just wanted to be real conscious of that, not injecting him with any of my fears. What's held me back in the way that I have looked at opportunities and in presenting things in class in front of the, you know, uh, just projects or um, putting himself out there in public and or on video and just saying whatever. Um, he's been very interested in having conversations in stepping up in front of class and presenting ideas. And, um, he, he's just naturally gravitates to that, which is mm. tripping me out. 
Wow. Um, I thought it was going to be me trying to help coach him up. Like you can work through this and just exposure therapy or like, let's work through these opportunities. Let's find something out there that uh, scares you and let's, let's work our way through it. Right. What you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I did. Like, cause that's how I worked through it. But he just has like a natural ability to communicate and step in front and has, doesn't have that reserve, doesn't have that fear that I did. So, but it literally acts just like I did when I was his age. It's really trippy. Um, but it just goes to show like he didn't have that, that formative imprint kind of injection of fear. And, and like, if, if you don't do well, like you're going to be rejected. And so it, to me, it's, it's interesting to watch. Cause I know there's, there's other things like for him, if he doesn't get things right, uh, it really like aggravates him. Like, so if he's, if he's working through a problem uh, with math or if he can't figure out, something that, um, on his own and he needs to get help for it. Like that's, that's a real battle, uh, which is, I could identify with that a lot and, you know, was very much of a characteristic I had and would be very hard on myself over anybody else. Like it was always like, oh my God, like I, I'm terrible at this. I'd suck at this. Like there was all this negative, like reinforcement that, uh, and so he, I get, I think for me to kind of step in and and help him kind of work through those moments has been, has been impactful because that, that happens probably more than him um, being fearful of expressing himself and his ideas to his peers or in front of a group. Um, it's more just like working through problems and things that like, he's like, why am I not good at this? And I'm like, it's, you, you just have to work through it and just one step at a time and let's tackle this part of it and let's piece it out and let's take deep breaths and let's step out and let's, let's calm. Let's get into that calm. Reflecting on today's show, one of the things that really sticks out as a parent to me is the type of father that Justin is and the type of father that he strives to be. And I'm fully in awareness that not everybody has a father like Justin or had a father like him or a father that I had. And with that being said, there's so many benefits to simply having healthy father figures in our life, healthy models. And that's something that is so lacking today. And it's becoming more and more and more evident through the work that I'm doing with the men, especially at the Men of Movement Retreat. And so this is a call out and a call up for any man listening to this podcast who is looking for guidance, who is looking for a sincere group of brothers to grow alongside. I mean, how many times in life can we say that we've actually had a safe space where we can open up with the challenges that we are facing at given points in our life and, and really maybe be held accountable and held us to the standards that, that we wish to be better in our life, but not necessarily judged us for it. That's so rare. And so that is one of the big inspirations for creating the Men of Movement Retreat is to create a container, a powerful container where men can come together and get honest feedback with how they're showing up and or not showing up and to go into that, to go into the fire 
and use the force of the fire to transmute that energy so that we can break some of these patterns and behaviors that we know are not serving us, but we've just never had it modeled on how to break through that and how to integrate that into our life into a healthy way. And so I'm very excited as always, every single time I get to share uh, an ad on this, I get so excited because it really does, one, it nourishes me so much. One, it of course helps provide food for my family, but more than anything, it is the thing that excites me most to lead in this world, to see men rising to the occasion, wanting to break these patterns that they know are dysfunctional, whether it's in their own life for their health, how they relate to their loved ones, whether it's family or intimate partners, or for example, not showing up fully in their careers, maybe doing a, living a, a life of a job that they fucking hate. And so to create a container where guys can come together and work through this, man, it's felt so good. And so the next retreat is happening June 8th through the 11th. We run these in Mount Shasta, California on an organic farm. That is all I'll say for right now. But if you are interested in finding more information, you will hop on a call with me. You'll get access to my calendar and we'll work through some stuff. It will absolutely be a discovery call to hear what you're working through in life right now, where you want to be better um, with your permission, as always, if there's coaching opportunities for me to support you on the call, I absolutely will. And then then we will go through some of the details of the retreat to really see if it's a good fit for you. All you got to do is you can click the link in the show notes or just go to mikeslemmy.io. In the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a Men of Movement retreat drop down. Check it out for more information as well as a link to apply. It's so cool to hear how you're parenting him because I really feel like it's like you're a corner man. You're a cornerman and like for your fighters, cornerman and uh, knowing how to guide them, how to push them and give them that, that like Mick from Rocky, you know, feedback sometimes, but then also how to be Adrian as well and how to be nurturing. And I super resonate with that inner critic piece because the perfectionist, the inner, like with, you know, anyone who has perfectionist tendencies or a gravitation towards that is likely going to have a pretty harsh inner critic. And so for me, it's been like, at first I wanted to swing the complete opposite direction. Like, okay, at times I'm going to try my best not to be perfect. I'm just going to put whatever it is out there. And then that didn't really feel good. And then when I was, let's say, creating a program and spending exponentially more time than I probably should have on it, it's been one of those things where it's like, how do you find the middle ground or how does like to not abandon, because that can be a strength too. So it's, it's, it can be a strength and a weakness, but it's like, how do we find that middle ground? And I think one of the big things is having a corner man, someone in your life who you, who knows, loves and respects you yeah. and isn't trying to inject you per se with a specific type of belief system, but is just trying to model and be there. Like, I love what you said, even with your, with your kid who's 12, like you've been sitting back, you've been in the stands and I can only imagine that's probably really hard to do. Yes. When you love them so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. I don't like to use the word, but I, it makes me a bit anxious. Like, I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm excited for him. But at the same time, I'm like, that it's that bit of control. Like, I think we all just, we want, we want to have ability to control things. And uh, that's what I'm checking myself on the mm. most is, is my control. Whereas he's not going to learn what he needs to learn if I'm, putting myself in that position. If I'm getting in front of it, I'm stepping in front of his, his development. It's a hard thing because yeah, you, you love them so much and you want them to thrive and 
have success and and um, and learn all the and develop these skills uh, and, and be able to think their way through all these challenges and obstacles. Um, but if you if you step out and you rationally think about that, um, what good are you doing if you're stepping in and and basically doing the work for them? Mm. It's it it's really not productive uh, in terms of like getting the outcome that you really want. Um, but it, it's a really hard thing because like the, the wisdom of it in terms of like my life experience and just going through a lot of the problems they're going through and even knowing what I know in terms of how to train the body and become more athletic and, and strong and powerful and fast. Like, I'm like, I have all these tools, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I got all these tools I'm just holding on to and waiting. And it's the waiting part. That's, that's just, oh, it's brutal, you know, but if I'm patient enough, they'll ask for it. And, and so, yes, I'm constantly checking myself. It's not easy. It's, I, I do sometimes want to just be like, look, I, I have the answers right here. <laughs> I got the answer. I got keeper. them. So, Use them. Yeah. But they have to want it. Or it's just, it's not going to land. So, um, and two, it's, it, part of that is the struggle. You don't want to watch your kids struggle, but they have to struggle. And it's really, it's about the right, I think it's, it's the right dose of struggle and very similar and parallel to working out. It's just, you need to find that right dose to adapt and to, to acquire what you need to acquire from that um, lesson. So um, I look at it like that a lot too. It's, it's, they're right now, they're, they're, they're exercising. You know, whatever it is, whether it's trying to, to get better at their sport, trying to get better at school, trying to learn uh, how to navigate through the culture, how to navigate through life, how to uh, navigate through social media and, and the internet and, you know, all this madness. It's just, it's a lot. And, and even to have him have his own phone has been like, it's been, it's been a nightmare for us as parents, you know, like it's like, do we allow it? Do we just control? Do we filter everything out? So that way, you know, we drip in what they can be exposed to at, at appropriate levels. Um, yeah. So there's a lot more to this whole parent game than I was ready for. So in two, it, it changes like I have like a real solid idea. Like this is going to be the way we're going to do it. Like we're going to get this app. There's this new app out there that basically shuts off their phone at this time. And then it, it scrubs like all the imagery. So, you know, they, it, I mean, there's cool technology out there that huh. can, can do that. And we worked through that and I'm like trying to have conversations with him about it. Like, look, I know there's things on the internet you want to look at and he's, at that point where he's just basically a teenager and his body's changing, he's going through puberty, he's noticing girls and, you know, so I have to have the porn conversation. I have to have the like website conversations and, um, and also too, just like the comments, like, you know, getting too wrapped into other people's 
Um, because the negative ones are what always stick with us. We just, we just see one negative comment or one thing and it, it literally just interrupts your entire thought process the whole rest of the day. And it's such a waste. And so I don't like, I more than anything don't want him to be just drawn into that pit of despair. Especially with a big inner critic that he's got. Yeah. So it's, that's what concerns me the most is that toxic element of it. Yeah. You know, sure. You can wrap in like, oh, they're hanging out with their friends and interacting and I'm like, yeah, it's way better in person. You just, you can't beat it. I don't care what anybody says, like meeting in person, like developing those social cues, reading, um, you know, their body language, being able to basically change and be flexible with whatever you're talking about and delivering based off of like how the person's reacting to you. And that's so important. And all that is lost on a screen. So yeah, man, big challenges. And I know (laughs) you're, you're going to be stepping in this arena here soon, man, with, with having a kid. And so, I mean, it's obviously, uh, you know, I'm at, at this stage now where this is new territory for me to, to go back and go through again, this, these formative years of, of, you know, um, going through being a teenager and, and, and puberty and all that. So it's like all these different stages present all new variables, all new challenges. And it's, it keeps life interesting. Well, dude, I'm so one excited to be a dad and like I'm surrendering to the fact or doing my best to surrender to the fact that I'm going to allow him to teach me. And like, I don't have to have it necessarily all figured out because I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself for that. Mm. And then the other thing too is, and I'd love to transition a little bit and go back to some of the training stuff because a lot of, I know me and you, and when we, when we've shot videos for mind pump, it was always me linked up with you. And because we're like the unconventional training guys and definitely, and I learned so much about myself through movement. I know you have too, Mm -hmm. like how to find my edges, how to develop those skills, how to adapt to the environment or the tool. Like a lot of what you were saying, I was like having these ahas. I was like, wow, I've learned a different version of that, but I've learned a different version of that with a similar theme through the ability to adapt to the Bulgarian back, the kettlebell, Mm -hmm. maybe uh, body weight training and all that sort of stuff. So I'd love to, one, you are like the unconventional, the performance guy here, uh, which is awesome. I'm really curious, how would you maybe define unconventional training and how was it received when you were first wanting to bring that into mind pump? Yeah, I think for me, I just, I seek out hard skills. Like I, I enjoy, I enjoy being challenged. And um, I think it was just kind of a natural fit when I have gone through quote unquote conventional training forever where you know, I've gone through commercial gyms and I've, mm. I've done conventional programming for sports. Like, so we've done group team training that was all sort of chalkboard driven and everything was very systematic and it was very much more addressing just one plane of movement more than anything. Yes, we did skills training in terms of like our running and cuts and things that translated to whatever sport it was I was playing. I played multiple sports. 
Uh, football was the one that I definitely honed in on towards the end. But, you know, I played soccer, baseball, basketball. I mean, I even played rugby huh. in, in college. And um, so anything that was like brutal uh, and had dire consequences, like, <laughs> I mean, MMA wasn't a thing, um, you know, when I was growing up as much. I mean, there was definitely cage fighting that we would watch on VHS, uh, which I loved. But, uh, you know, if that was a more available, I probably would have been like into it. Like I did a little bit of Muay Thai training just because it was, you know, something I was like, wow, that looks really challenging and fun and, and hard on my body. Uh, and I just like, I liked the, it was going to be hard on my body and I have to work through this and figure this out. Now, in terms of uh, unconventional, I would say just probably ways of training you wouldn't normally see in like a 24-hour fitness or a Bally's or even like powerlifting. Like you're not going to see unconventional training as much, maybe Westside Barbell because they did a lot of real like, you know, cool work with rubber bands and they they brought in a lot of unconventional bars and, you know, they're way more forward thinking. That's where I actually touched the kettlebell for the first time was, really? was when I was 19 at Westside. And Louis like, we were only doing swings, but he was advising me and, and he's like, you got to buy some of these when you get back. So that was actually my very first exposure was there. So oh, spot rad. on. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I, for me, I, I had, I think it was when I was off on my own as a personal trainer and, um, was just doing some self-experiment, experimental training. Um, cause I had just, I had, I had gone through sports training. I did a lot of barbell training, very heavy. Like everything was just about like to the point where I could peak strength wise and PR and get to those major lifts like bench squat and uh, eventually dead. I, I was really just more focused on PR and my, um, my power cleans because that was <laughs> another big staple lift of mine. Um, but I was like, I got to I want to do something else in um, and then I got exposed to both simultaneously kettlebells and uh, Olympic rings. Hmm. Uh, and this is before TRX and the suspension training really kind of took off. One of my friends actually introduced kettlebells to me. We started training with them. And then I went through, it wasn't strong for us at the time, but it was, I think it was through Dragon Door. The RKC, yeah. Yeah, the RKC. So I did a weekend <laughs> of RKC. And then, uh, and Pavel actually made an appearance there. And so it was cool. I got to meet him and just really got into the nuances of how to, you know, grip the kettlebell, how to make sure, you know, my body was in full control, but like, you know, expressed power at perfect timing. And then also, you know, it's this fast, loose concept and um, just a lot more dynamic in terms of like, your body has to be able to, uh, produce a lot of things at once, but it has to be fluid and, and flawless, you know? And that was interesting because that's another level. Like, and this is why it's hard for me to really express a lot of this on the podcast because not a lot of people are there. Mm. A lot of people are in a position where they just want, they want to feel strong and they want to feel like their body's in good composition. And I understand that. And that was the majority of my clients. And so I would just expose them to some unconventional ways of um, training just every now and then just give them a taste. And then whoever kind of bought into it a little bit, we'd start 
introducing it a lot more, you know, and that um, within kettlebells and then, and then Olympic rings, I just found a whole new host of challenges that I could apply to my body and how I needed to not only um, perform some of these exercises, but now stabilize myself and be able to brace and control and, and create this rigidity throughout my body while also doing those same movements. I'm like, wow, that's way harder, you know, and to have all those excess of gravitational forces on me now with the Olympic rings, um, to be able to have the kind of mobility in my shoulders to be able to, you know, do these, you know, skin the cat moves and all these hmm. types of things where I'm, I'm, you know, doing full levers. And so I just, I really enjoyed the, the challenge of it. Uh, and the fact that every little incremental effort produced, you know, ways of getting stronger and more effective and, and better. Um, and you could see it. If I videotape myself, I could see the change in terms of like, uh, it just, it looked more fluid. It looked better. It looked like I had more control. I wasn't being pulled left to right. I, my body wasn't rotating. Mm. Um, and, uh, and then I feel like that made me a better coach too, to point out those little things, even just with a conventional lift. Uh, you could see a lot more of how the body likes to compensate uh, when you go to more of an extreme level of challenge. And so that's what I really like about unconventional lifts is between that and um, learning mace bells and learning Indian clubs, it was just kind of like a pursuit of like, what else did they used to do <laughs> back in the day and uh, like Dr. Ed Thomas, I, I found oh, my way Indian to clubs, him yeah. uh, with the Indian clubs and that's what exposed me to that. Um, and just to, and here's the thing, some people trip out about like a Ronnie Coleman that's like just massive, you know, bodybuilder that's just a spectacle, you know, and it's, that's insanely impressive, right? And, you know, and for me, it's like a Bo Jackson who's just like mm. the, the ultimate athlete that can, high perform in, uh, on that level in two different sports, like with no off season, like it just doesn't make any sense, you know? Uh, but really like, I just love, I, I love watching beautiful movement. Um, and you see, you'll see that in the Olympics and you'll see that at gymnastics for sure. Um, but to just see like, so Dr. Ed Thomas, just watching him, control these movements with, with the Indian clubs and just like, it was so fluid and, and just on a different level than everybody else. And it's hard to articulate because you just, you watch it and you're like in awe of what, how, what kind of control and what kind of ability. And it's so understated. A lot of people, it just goes right over everybody's head, but like, that's the stuff that I kind of zoom in. On. I'm like, wow. Like, that's interesting. There's a lot of brain training going on with that. You know, the ability to coordinate all of these movements, these circular movements and left and right and simultaneously, especially with the Indian clubs. It's really such a fantastic tool that I think, and that's one of the things that's always excited me. It's like, how can I learn a skill here that will have a massive transfer into everything else in life? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was actually really... Like, I'm actually really not surprised, but I'm impressed when you were saying the first two things that you did were kettlebells and gymnastics rings. Cause like, 
that's solid. Two tools that offer such a beautiful complement mm. to each other. And like the fact that you're doing skin the cats and opening up, you know, putting the shoulder in that position and the, and like what you were saying, the isometric control, but you've got to stabilize. Like yeah. those are two super complementary tools. You know, one of the things that I know about Mind Pump, like you guys have, have, I don't know if your slogan still is, but like dispelling like fitness myths mm -hmm. and raw fitness truth. When it comes to unconventional training or any of the tools, are there any like big myths that stick out to you with any of the tools or when people are looking at unconventional training? I think a lot of people, I think what I see a lot is um, on Instagram or like on social media, it's, it's a lot of dance moves and it's mm. a lot of um, sort of glorified choreography, um, which to me is cool to watch, but I think it, people get a different perception of like how valuable those tools are. I think that they're not getting exposed to some of the more simplistic moves that have the most translation towards benefiting, say, their bench press or benefiting, you know, some other strength pursuit or athletic in endeavor. And so I think that, I think that the, the overall, there's a lot, there's a big misconception with them just, just sort of being this isolated tool that you can get to a point where you can do all these crazy elaborate movements with, which I think is, and I, I'm, I'm trying to be sort of walk the tightrope with this because I do appreciate um, some of that, some of that skill and that ability. And I, I can recognize the level they've got to be able to pull off a lot of those movements. And, you know, it did take a lot of work and skill to, to develop it. But uh, I think that it's not being sold enough to your average person. Hmm. And I think there's so much, and, and I bring up the bench press just because I know that was the first thing I noticed was if you have a stable, mobile shoulder that um, is able to basically do what it's supposed to and, and to anchor in and, and to distribute that force adequately through, you're eliminating like a big kink in the chain. So for me, like I would get to a certain point where I could PR and I could, I could lift, you know, my 400 something pound bench press, but inevitably I'm going to get to a point where it's going to put too much wear on my shoulder because I don't have that, that stabilized ability where my body feels like, oh, it's okay to add more force. It's okay to generate more, to recruit more. So I guess to better answer your question, I think that people might see it more as a recovery mobility value and not a performance value. And I think this is the biggest thing I try to bring up, even with mobility movements, I want people to understand that if you are able to brace and isometrically control and eliminate rotation when it's not advantageous for you to be able to, to provide that kind of support system around your joint with your muscles, like you could generate so much more force. And it's, let's just say it's like, I don't know how much, but let's say it's 10 to 20% more output. Let's just say that. And think about that in terms of like now your strength lifts increase because that's, that's where the hole is going to be. That's where the leak of performance is. And to go in and really address that with some of these tools like a mace bell or with Indian clubs or 
You know, we just don't, we don't strengthen our rotation. Mm. We don't do that. Uh, it, it's an afterthought. Uh, when it should be incorporated with conventional training simultaneously because it's to our disadvantage. Like we're, we're just going to hit a point where that repetitive stress is going to compile and now it's going to set us back. Now we got to build back up because we're either injured or, you know, we've overtrained and, um, you know, our body is, is basically going to, going to do what it's supposed to do and, and prevent us from, from any further harm. So to, to peer into that more and, and include it more in our programming, I think is, is something that everybody should consider that. As you can tell by now, both Justin and I are huge fans of unconventional training with kettlebells. I mean, there's very few tools that you can accomplish what you can with kettlebells. I mean, when you look at their construction, that offset center of mass, I always say that the kettlebell in comparison to other tools or in contrast to other tools is really a live object. When you're working with a kettlebell, especially on many of the dynamic movements, or if you're familiar with bottoms up training, that kettlebell is moving and you have to reorientate your body and develop a strong enough nervous system, a more finely tuned nervous system to adapt to the movement. And that's really what we develop nervous system training, coordination, balance, and then of course, strength, stability, power, all of the performance abilities that we need to carry on in life and in many sports and activities, the uniqueness of the kettlebell and what you can accomplish with that tool that is very hard to develop with other training tools really makes it not only one of the most enjoyable training tools that I've ever used in life, but really the one that probably has, in my opinion and personal experience, probably the most carryover. It's something that you can keep at your office, in your home, in your car. You can take it with you anywhere. You could take it outside and get a beautiful workout in the sun. You can do it with friends in a small amount of space. It's non-impact. And so if you are interested in learning the nitty gritty and being guided through really the closest thing out there to working with me one-on-one, then my Kettlebell Lifestyle Program is certainly something worth checking out. And everyone who listens to the PATH podcast will get 20% off, all you got to do is use code PATH20 and go to the link www.kettlebellifestyle.com. I will also put this in the show notes. But if you are interested in taking your fitness, your health, your mobility to the next level, and of course, your kettlebell skill, then that program is the one for you. Check it out today. Now let's get back to the show. Well, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the, the unconventional tools is like, when you're talking about like rotation specifically, like the first thing that comes to mind for me is the Bulgarian bag, because that tool is like, I mean, it does a, a bunch of things really well, but it was designed to train Olympic level Greco-Roman wrestlers who, who are throwing people left and right. Like it, right. the the ability to train rotation, that's really as a gap in a lot of people's approach to conventional training. I think Paul, Paul check would say like, if you can't, you must. And so a lot of these tools are perfectly suited to that, which is with a barbell, like it's a great tool for, for, you know, the things it does well, like building high levels of strength, especially in the squat, the bench, the deadlift, the clean, et cetera. But it's not a tool that you're really going to 
gravitate towards to express rotation. Mm -hmm. So I really think that's where like the unconventional tools are perfect with working out so many of the weaknesses that, that we see today. And and one of the, as you were sharing, one of the like myths that I've heard and, and just seen a lot is, well, two things, but the first thing is that there's this, like, I get a lot of people being intimidated by the tools, you know, and I'd love to hear your experience on that. And, and for me, it's, you know, I, I could, I could see that. Like if you see a fucking kettlebell, you know, flying or someone's juggling with kettlebells or something just looks intimidating or someone had a, did a clean or a snatch and it hurt their forearm mm-hmm. once. And then there's that feel response. But like with anything, it's an understanding that like there is a process to this stuff. You have to learn. And, and going back to one last thing that, that you shared earlier, you know, when I'm programming for myself, probably 80% of the time that I'm training, it's actually with base movements because being mobile and feeling like feeling really good and then having adequate fundamentals, that's what allows me to do more of the sexy stuff that people really like to see that usually is what gets them in the door. But then when I'm actually programmed, it's like, dude, there's so much benefit to just doing well a kettlebell swing. Yeah. So much. You don't even need the juggling or you don't even, you know, if you want to express that later, but that comes with time. Mm -hmm. So what's been your experience with like with people being intimidated by a lot of this stuff? Yeah, that's a common one. It's, it's, I'm going to hit myself in the head, (laughs) you know, with the mace bell or the uh, Indian clubs and the balls. Yeah. yeah, It's just this, I think it's, it's so foreign initially. Mm to people because it's just not in their, their scope of like, they haven't even seen it in any gym that they've been a part of. And so it just, it's, it's just a foreign idea. And, um, I think that, um, like you said, there's a process to, to each one of those tools, uh, where just getting a good grip and, and just, you know, feeling your way through some basic swings to, to just get started, like just like anything else, it, it it's going to take those that that introduction to it, that willingness to suck and and understand that you're not going to be very good. Uh, you're going to be clumsy because um, your your body is is still trying to organize itself and and figure its way through what you're tasking it to do. So it's all of that. Uh, and especially with the unconventional stuff, it, it takes a lot of detail in terms mm-hmm. of like the the procedure and the way that um, you're working through that. So I think once you once you get the tool in the person's hand, I think that's the first step, right? And that's that's really like you feel empowered because now it's less foreign, it's less of a scary, weird thing. Like it, like oh well, I can. I can at least like lift it up and kind of bring it behind my head and then bring it back and then under control. Like the, what can I do right now uh, that my body feels like adequate to control? Uh, so we'll start there. We'll start there and we'll start kind of adding in little little bits to to challenge it further and, and get further along within um, the desired outcome of what that entire exercise is going to look like. So it's just like anything else. It's just, it's, any, any new sport is going to have that same type of fear getting into it because nobody likes to be the one that sucks right away. Like, you don't want to be the total beginner again, especially if you're like, if you've gone through 
um, training and lifting and like you feel pretty proficient in a lot of the other lifts, God forbid, like we now step into an unconventional tool and, and it's like you're starting all over. You're like a little baby fumbling around and trying to figure it out. But that's where all the growth is. And again, this is back to the whole part of the conversation in the beginning. It's, I, I'm drawn to that. You know, that, that excites me. Like it, I know I'm going to suck. I'm going to suck when I pick it up and I'm going to be like, whoa, this is a weird, cause you know, some of these are just the weight itself. It's, it's, you know, heavy in the bottom, it's light in the top. It's, you know, it's pulling me left. It's pulling me right. You know, I have to try to figure out how to even just control and stabilize. Like even one of those like iron clubs, like just holding one, it's like, whoa, it, it challenges you from so many different directions, you know, in you know, your, your wrist, your elbow, your shoulder, like everything else. And then like just channeling that in with your core to be able to control and like pull it centric to the body. You know, it's, it takes a lot of effort, but, um, once you figure it out, it's like, Ooh, okay, I'm onto something here. And it's empowering because now it's not something that is out of your scope. Like, Ooh, I can work on this and get better at, I know I can get better. It's not that like, I'll never do that or that's not for me or that's not ever going to work. It's I'm taking it now and now I'm going to figure it out. So I just, I find myself always looking for that. Mm, in life. In, in life lifting, in general. That's, that's beautiful, man. What would you say as we close out here? Is there any like final words of wisdom or anything that comes up for you for someone who we can use the unconventional training as the example, but someone um, maybe a little bit fearful to give it a try? What, what what insight might you share with them or any final words? I think that that's a natural response. And I think that really it's it's what you do that that determines, <laughs> it's what you do that determines where you go. I mean, it's at a certain point, we make all these decisions to kind of form who we are. And I think that each, each decision is an important one. And, and to be able to empower yourself with ways of challenging your body is going to make your body better. Uh, ways to challenge yourself in terms of communicating is going to make you a better communicator, which in turn is going to make you more effective in your job, in your relationships. And I just think that uh, it's, it's that initial first step. That's the scariest part. It's, it's actually grabbing the tool. It's actually signing up for the class. It, you know, it's actually stepping out in front of a crowd and, and just start talking. So I think that honestly is, that's the most terrifying part of the entire thing. So if you just do that part, then you're already miles ahead of most people. And so it's, it's, it's just, um, whatever that is, like, if you could figure out like what scares you, if you just make one little tiny step, I think it, it'll go so far and you're, it'll, it'll empower you and it'll, it'll embolden uh, where you want to go. Like it'll turn you into, into who you want to be. And I think that these are all things that shape you as a person. So 
it's as simple as, as training tools and just making that conscious decision to improve every day in whatever direction it is, whether it's just lifting weights conventionally and just building yourself up and your, your overall strength or just, you know, losing some weight or, you know, making better decisions with nutrition or just cutting out some stress in your life. There's just, (laughs) there's so many things you can do. And I think that we forget to focus on that. You can do so many things to improve and just focus more on that. Less on what everybody else is doing, less on the current state of, <laughs> of the culture and, and, you know, being, um, not having access to things or not having something or whatever, whatever the deficits are, or whatever the negative things are. We don't really need to give that that much emphasis. We can just focus on improving in small steps. Dude, this has been so much fun, man. Thank you for dropping that that wisdom. And uh, thank you for everything that you do, not just for for supporting me and uh, but for you guys paying it forward and putting out so much you know free content. And and everything you're doing, and the, great to hear about the high school team, man. So yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for you, and that you're getting into this arena. I think that <laughs> there needs to be more uh, sound advice out there, and and good people like yourself doing it. So I'm 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 pumped, and I, I hope that uh, you know this this really does does good things for you. I'm excited for you. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.